You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back. This is a segment that we have on a fairly regular basis, which we call Dust Up with Dusty Christensen. Hello, Dusty. Hey, great to be joining y'all again. Well, Mr. Investigative Reporter. Got to see where the dust settles, right? Ooh, we like that. <laughs> yeah, we can, we can. We could just spend the next 10 minutes talking about dust. <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of them. And, and making sure that none of these topics are dusty by the time we get to them. But I, oh. I like that. <laughs> so we were just um, speaking with uh, sustainability manager from Big Y, a local supermarket, and um, you have been working recently on pesticides in this region. I'd love to hear more about what your investigation has turned up. Sure, yeah. So uh, we at the Shoestring um, had uh, had received a tip from some local uh, activists who are part of an organization called Regeneration Massachusetts. Uh, it's a statewide organization. They have strong roots in Western Mass here, though. Um, and they had been raising concern about the State Department of Agricultural Resources, which is uh, also known as MDAR. <clears throat> uh, MDAR oversees and regulates pesticide use in the state. And these activists had pointed to a 2020 law uh, known as an act to protect the health and child- of children and families from harmful pesticides that required that state agency to submit annual reports on pesticide reduction to legislative leaders in the state. Um, they, this, this group, Re- Regeneration Massachusetts, had put in public records requests for these pesticide reduction reports. Uh, the agency said they didn't have them. They asked the, the state Senate and the state House, the clerks there, whether they had those reports as they were required to be sent to them. They didn't have them either. And so we decided to follow up as a shoestring and, and reach out to the state en- agency to see where these pesticide reduction reports were. And, uh, and before we hear about those reports, yes. Dusty Christensen, I just want to make sure that my understanding is still what the law is. In order to do commercial pesticide uh, work, you have to be licensed. You have to get a certificate, which means you have to be trained. You have to go through a process of training, and um, you have to know about the chemical compositions of the uh, substances you're using in order to take care of pests and whatever else. Is that still the case? As, as far as I know, that's right. And, and the Massachusetts Department of Agricultural Resources also uh, approves any new pesticides that are going to be used or, or new active ingredients, for example, in pesticides. So they are the agency uh, tasked with overseeing basically all things pesticide related. They have their own separate pesticide board uh, that makes those decisions. Dusty, when you go into a supermarket and you buy some fresh fruits or vegetables... Um, are they edible or are they, do they have to go through some process of being washed before they end up on the shelves? That's a, that's a great question. Uh, I remember fact checking a story about this when I was at the nation magazine a number of years ago. Um, you should always wash your fruits and vegetables because the pesticides undoubtedly uh, uh, end up on a lot of them, uh, not to mention uh, you know, other uh, potential uh, bacteria and, and everything else. Um, I, I do know that it depends what vegetables you're talking about. If a vegetable has a really thick uh, you know, skin to it that Avocado, you can peel off. We were just talking about bananas. Exactly. And, uh, even, even sweet potatoes, they have thick skin. You're going to remove it. 
Correct. You don't have to be as careful there. Whereas I used to wash all those stuff, but you know, whereas with something like strawberries, for example, like you're not removing any kind of skin, so you should really be delicate with that. So, um, so you know, obviously pesticides are a really big deal. They can affect human health in all kinds of ways. They can cause cancer, affect the nervous system, irritate the skin and eyes, cause harm to a person's hormone or endocrine system. So naturally, there's a lot of people in our region and beyond worried about their possible impacts on their health, and so that's why. The the state back in 2020, uh, the state agency was tasked with putting out these pesticide reduction reports, letting the public know and the legislature know what they were doing every year to reduce pesticide use. Um, it seemed like those reports were not being produced, so we reached out to MDAR as as the shoestring and, and me as the investigative editor there, and. Um, Lo and behold, they produced the report. Regeneration Massachusetts, this activist group, said it's the first time the agency has ever produced this report after we reached out to them. To the agency's credit, they say they were including all that same information in their generic yearly uh, annual reports. Um, but nevertheless, it was uh, very interesting for us to get our hands on this report that at least a local activist group is saying is the first time the state agency has released it. And they did draw uh, some uh, some conclusions from that report that they said were – uh, concerning uh, specifically the amount of pesticides that were uh, approved in that fiscal year 2022 report, 736 new products, including 10 with new active ingredients. Uh, this activist group also took issue with the fact that the state rarely, if ever, um, uh, uh, find anybody, especially when it related to agricultural use for inappropriate pesticide use. Uh, they say that it happens a lot more frequently than than people realize. Um, well, Dusty Christensen, and maybe Bill, you know the answer to this, but is it, I understand the workers' safety concern, huge yeah. workers' safety concern, and I I think I understand the health concern for those of us that are ingesting these uh, pesticide-laden uh, fruits and vegetables, but um, what about what these pesticides do to our ecosystem. Yeah. Well, I mean, the pesticides are intended to kill pests that are eating to sustain their own life cycle. I don't, I don't know anything about that. Do you, Bill? Let me just pose the question back to Dusty. What about apples? What about pears? What about those kinds of fruit that are local, used, that are grown, produced, and sold here in the valley? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it probably depends on on who's growing them and and how they're growing them. Uh, you know, I'm, unfortunately, I'm not uh, you know on these farms daily to know what kind of pesticide uh, is being used, et cetera. I do know that on the on the topic of environmental health, yeah, this is a huge issue, and in fact, it's why uh, our state. Um, ultimately uh, has banned a certain uh, type of um, of pesticide. Uh, I think the way you pronounce this is neonicotinoids. I am not a scientist. I'm sorry. Um, uh, but Massachusetts was actually the first state to ban that type of uh, pesticide through regulation. Um, this was this is a few years back, and uh, that's because of the uh, really harmful impacts that those pesticides cause to bees and pollinators, which are obviously the foundation for our agricultural system. So it's a really big deal. And what we ended up digging into in this uh, investigation for the shoestring as well is, is, is sort of the the powerful interests that are going to resist any kind of oversight of their 
industry, and in this case, the chemical industry, the pesticide industry. You know, uh, some organic uh, farming groups have done lobbying on on Beacon Hill of our state lawmakers, but it pales in comparison to the kind of lobbying that groups like uh, like Bayer, who now owns um, uh, the the herbicide Roundup, glyphosate, uh, which I think previously was owned by Monsanto, uh, as well as other chemical companies uh, and uh, chemi- agrochemical trade, trade associations like Crop Life America, New England Pest Control Association, the lawn care company Scotts. They have spent uh, big money, uh, well over $100,000 uh, in the subsequent in the past two years lobbying our uh, lawmakers when it comes to legislation on pesticides. So I think that's an important thing to keep in mind here as well, that obviously as residents of the state, as consumers of food, we're thinking about environmental health, we're thinking about our own health, um, but there are also these big interests, uh, chemical interests that are looking after their own profits and probably have a lot more sway than us regular citizens do uh, when it comes to uh, throwing their weight around on Beacon Hill. Do you have any information, Dusty, about whether or not these the use of chemicals has been reduced enough so that uh, this phenomenon of, of hive collapse for bees has been reduced, or is that still a... a potential ca- catastrophe in the making. As far as I'm aware, it's still a really huge deal. And and groups like uh, Regeneration Massachusetts will uh, will say that um, quite the opposite of sort of stemming the tide of of uh, chemicals, you know, rushing out into our fields and our foods and our and our animal habitats, uh, that quite the opposite is happening, that we are continuing down this path of of over-reliance on chemicals to uh, to kill anything deemed as a pest, which is quite a lot of stuff, uh, uh, as it turns out, and that the impacts to our environment, to our own health, are are pretty steep. Dusty Christensen, when you uh, seek um, information from an agency, a report from the agency that you can actually lay your hands on and see what really is they contend is going on, is there follow through? We be following this story with another uh, investigative effort to learn more about the pesticides that around us? That's a great question. And yes, I think follow-up stories are so important as journalists. Uh, for example, you know, the report that we got our hands on was, was for fiscal year 2022. Uh, it's my understanding that the state agency MDAR is now working on their 2023 report. So we'll obviously be looking at that report and trying to scrutinize what's in it. Um, I'm sure that we're going to follow up with lawmakers as well uh, to talk to them about some of the bills that are, are pending uh, in the state legislature, because there are a number of them in Western Massachusetts law Lawmakers are leading the charge on some of these bills to, in an effort to reduce pesticide use and the uh, the harmful impacts of pesticides. Uh, you know, uh, everyone from uh, from Joe Comerford locally, uh, I know, is a, a lead sponsor in some of these. I know Lindsay Sabadosa has also sponsored some of them, and, and some other folks here locally. Um, and you know, those include bills that would create a statewide pesticide reform task force. Another one would return local control of pesticide use to local communities. Uh, there's also a third bill that I think that would establish a database tracking uh, all of this stuff for people to more easily be able to access because, you know, it shouldn't take a reporter reaching out to an agency for that report to all of a sudden uh, surface. Even if it was information that was contained in other reports, we shouldn't have to be looking for it uh, so strenuously. It should be right there for all of us to see. Well, that's why, Dusty Christensen, your work is so important to all of us that we, uh, you can sort of uh, elucidate that which for the rest of us is uh, hidden and would require an effort that we can't expand, but you investigators can. So we really do appreciate it. We're continuing our conversation with Dusty Christensen, and I particularly, we're talking about workers, workers' interests. I would really like to ask you your view on the recent 
Newton teachers strikes and, well, public strike, public worker strikes in general. We'll continue our conversation with Dusty Christensen right after this. Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are continuing our conversation with investigative reporter Dusty Christensen. And Dusty, uh, Max Page is a regular visitor to our show. He is fantastic. He's the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. Um, it wasn't local, but he talked a lot about and visited, actually attended, a lot of the conversations and negotiations uh, between the striking Newton teachers um, and uh, the Newton School Committee. Um, we have uh, this law in Massachusetts that forbids public sector workers from striking. You've done some work around this. You yourself are a well, a public sector worker. And a member of the Massachusetts Teachers Association, that's right, as a as a uh, adjunct professor at UMass. So, um, yeah, I thought this story was fascinating, and I think that a lot of what was missed, uh, we covered it at the shoestring, but um, I think the, the sort of background story here that's fascinating to me as a, as a union organizer um, and as somebody from Western Mass is that the whole reason that, you know, these strikes are becoming more common, the MTA is is really empowering rank and file educators to stand up and to do this thing, strike, uh, that uh, the rest of us outside of the public sector not only have the, the right to do, but it's really the only tool as workers at the end of the day that we can use to um, to try to improve working conditions. Um, MTA y- obviously being the Massachusetts Teachers That's Association. Right. That's right. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, the union has been... Um, uh, it was about 10 years ago that a Northampton educator, Barbara Madaloni, who I know you both uh, know well, uh, was elected in a surprise election on a, on a reforms uh, uh, platform to lead the MTA. And she was a part of a caucus within the Massachusetts Teachers Association known as Educators for a Democratic Union, uh, a, a caucus that seeked to move the union in a more progressive direction and to really empower rank and file members to take matters into their own hands and you know bring more democracy to the union, as opposed to relying on backroom deals between union leaders and uh, and school committees and the and and the state, you know, fast forward ten years, and Educators for a Democratic Union has really uh, built power within that union and and holds a lot of the key positions. Max Page, the, the current uh, president, as I understand, is a, is a member of that caucus as well, and as are a number of of people in in leadership positions in the MTA. And you really see the difference in the Massachusetts Teachers Association over the last t- ten years. Uh, you know, morphing from a, a union where a small group of people would get together to hash out contracts, teachers and educators weren't really involved in bargaining, to now when you see bargaining happen uh, locally and, and across the state, it is uh, those educators themselves that are leading those efforts as rank and file members. They're obviously leading efforts like in union to go on strike, and Newton is not the only district to go on strike, though I know it was the longest in, in state history, I believe. And um, and uh, not only that, but the Massachusetts Teachers Association now under the 
the the leadership of this rank and file movement of the movement of, of actual educators um, is also fighting for bigger things. They fought really hard and uh, for the passage of the Student Opportunity Act, which uh, uh, you know sent a bunch of extra money to to districts that were in need around the state. Uh, they're pushing now to end uh, the standardized test MCAS in the state and a whole bunch of other bigger fights uh, within the state that previously the union was not taking and the, on. And the MTA worked very, very hard to pass the fair share amendment, which is yes. the, the millionaires, really the billionaires tax. I, I'd like to know from you, Dusty Christensen, this, because you've covered this story and you've been involved in unionizing activities for, for a long time. It's illegal, as we know, for public sector workers, employees to strike. That said, there have been many teacher strikes in the last few years, and they have been very successful. They have resulted in, and the Newton teacher strike is a good example, huge fines, hundreds of thousands of dollars, the te- Newton teachers, but they, at the end of the day, won. They did. There is a, and all of those strikes have won for the educators and for the powers professionals who are being paid a non-living wage. I mean, you're paying, yeah. paying minimum wage. People who we depend on to, to teach, um, and they're being paid bupkis. Okay, so what I'd like to know is there's a bill pending in front of the legislature giving public sector workers the right to strike. They're going to strike with or without the bill. I think it has a chance of passage. Uh, that's a good question. I, 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 judging by the governor's comments on the Newton teacher strike, it seems to I, I can't imagine it's going to have strong support from the governor. Who knows about the the lawmakers? Um, but you know, this is the thing about reform movements within unions, and we saw it with the United Auto Workers who went out on strike big time after a reform movement took power in that union, and they won big. The Teamsters almost went on strike this year nationally, and that's because a reform movement within that union uh, was able to kick out the old leadership and bring in more democracy to that union. And we're seeing that now with teachers in Massachusetts that, um, you know, I'm sure that the MTA really wants that law to pass. And I think it's wild that uh, certain workers are barred from withholding their labor from their jobs. That's a, that should be a right for all of us. But um, those teachers are going to strike if they want to uh, with or without the law. Um, and if they do it all together, as we can see, they have power to make it happen. And, and this MTA but part of the negotiations became how much of a fine are they going to pay, the union right. going to pay because it was unlawful. Yeah, that's right. At the end of the day, what is a union but a collection of workers and and making decisions for themselves? And if they decide to go out on strike and to do that and that the costs are worth it, then then that should be their choice. And and that's the importance of of leadership that says, well, we're not the leaders, the workers are the leaders, and we're going to turn those decisions over to rank and file members. Well, that's terrific. Well, um, Dusty Christensen, I just can't thank you enough for being with us today and uh, when you always come. This is a really important issue. I have the, the, you know, somehow... You work for the public, for a public entity, and uh, somehow you should be so selfless that you don't have uh, enough money to live on and support your family with. It's, it's a preposterous uh, proposal. So thank you so much for your work, Dusty. Thanks so much for having me in. It's great to chat with you all. It's always great to touch. And thank you for joining us today on Talk to Talk. We'll be here tomorrow. Western Union. And telegrams keep informing me about Vietnam.